exploring the lives of ordinary Chinese people, sharing stories of impressive personalities. Life up close, presenting real China in real Chinese living. Life up close, where you can find out the latest about the ever-changing Chinese society. I'm your host Sam Duckett in Beijing. In this edition of Life Up Close, we'll first take a look at how Chinese libraries and museums are preserving the nation's cultural heritages and serving the general public. The reason we're doing it is to get more readers and more people to understand our work and all these precious books from ancient times, while at the same time better utilizing and exploring resources. After this, we'll take a look at the newly imposed smoking ban in Shanghai and challenges to China's overall anti-tobacco efforts. We refer to the legislative experience of other Chinese cities. Their monitoring results show there are no technical ways to fully protect residents from the dangers of secondhand smoke. The only way to eliminate the harm is to ban smoking in all indoor places. So to completely protect residents from passive smoking, we revised the previous indoor smoking regulation. We will adopt both soft and hard measures when enforcing the smoking ban. We will launch special campaigns targeting public places in the catering industry and internet cafes. Stay tuned. Everywhere you look today, China is in the news. But what about the lives behind the stories? How do ordinary Chinese live and work? Life up close answers the questions in your mind when you think of China. Over a billion people and as many stories from all over this vast land. Life up close, bringing you all you need to know about the real Chinese living here in China. China, with its enchanting ancient civilization, is home to many of the world's fascinating cultural heritages. Cultural institutions across the nation are now exploring various ways to better preserve these heritages and make them more easily accessible to the general public. Connecting the ages-old ancient books and relics with modern technology like the internet and augmented reality, libraries and museums are aiming to make the heritages more relevant to modern residents. To help with this move, invitations have been sent all over the globe for talented experts to come and decode the country's mysterious ancient oracle bone inscriptions, which are believed to be the original Chinese characters. First, let's take a look at how libraries have been doing. In February, five libraries jointly published more than 10,000 rare and ancient publications on their official websites. This meant that suddenly a total of 24,000 ancient Chinese books were open to the public, including the books the libraries had already uploaded. The five libraries include the National Library of China, Shanghai Library, Tianjin Library, Zhejiang Library, and the Library of Yunnan Province. The National Library of China owns the majority of the 24,000, with 17,000 of the books released on its official website, making up 60% of the total. Readers can now read these texts online by just logging on to their library's official websites and clicking the one they would like to read. Zhang Zheqing, deputy head of the National Library of China, explains the significance of their project. Uh, this is one of the 
This time, we release more than 10,000 books, and with the 10,975 ancient books released by the National Library of China on September 28th last year, the total amount has now reached 24,000, which is more than a sixth Siku Quan Shu. Siku Quan Shu in Chinese means complete library in the four branches of literature, which was completed in the late 18th century and has the world's longest series of books. It contains some 3,500 titles bound into more than 36,000 books with a total of about 800 million Chinese characters. As well as the National Library of China in Beijing, the other four libraries issued the most distinctive books of their entire collections. Wang Shuqiao, director of the Library of Yunnan Province, says putting the national cultural heritages online will benefit a great many people. The reason we are doing it is to get more readers and more people to understand our work and all these precious books from ancient times, while at the same time better utilizing and exploring resources. Meanwhile, the country intends to build more museums to better preserve and pass on the great variety of cultural heritages. Existing museums will expand their free admission programs and offer user-friendly services for visitors. One senior Chinese cultural official said in November that the government will spend 3 billion yuan, which is about 440 million US dollars a year, to fund free admissions to museums. Liu Yuzhu, head of the State Administration of Cultural Heritage, said the number of registered museums in China had reached nearly 4,700. A great majority of them have offered free admission for visitors since 2008. The official said around 200 museums are opening each year, and there is now one museum for every 290,000 Chinese people. The government aims to bring the ratio to one for every 250,000 by 2020 and attract 800 million visitors a year. While promoting equality and expanding coverage, the cultural official promised that the government would build museums in poor and remote regions inhabited by ethnic minorities. Authorities will also set up mobile and digital museums to better serve the general public. In central China's Henan province, a museum and a park will be built on the ruins of the capital of the Xia dynasty, believed to be the country's earliest dynasty of some 4,000 years ago. Yu Jie, head of Luoyang's Cultural Heritage Bureau, said in February that the construction of the project would start in the first half of this year near the village of Early Tol. The village is in the city of Luoyang, where more than 40,000 square meters of Xia dynasty ruins have been excavated since 1959. The most famous piece unearthed there is a 70-centimeter-long dragon totem made up of more than 2,000 pieces of turquoise. Chinese archaeologists dubbed the artifact the Dragon of China, saying it was the earliest evidence of the Chinese obsession with dragons. Citing a plan approved by the provincial government, Yu said that the museum with a planned building area of 30,000 square meters would showcase around 40,000 items. The exhibits on display in the museum will include excavated antiques, text and graphic documents related to the Xia dynasty and its succeeding Shang dynasty. A cultural ruins park covering 41 hectares will also be built. 
It will protect and display sites of ancient city walls, palaces, roads, and handicraft workshops where bronze casting and turquoise was crafted. There are also ruins of places of sacrifice. Local officials say the park would also simulate scenes from more than 3,000 years ago by landscaping and building workshops based on the discoveries. While the new museums are being built across the country, some well-established ones are using modern technology to breathe new life into their precious heritages. With the help of augmented reality technology, antiques at the Suzhou Museum in East China have come to life in visitors' cell phones. The museum recently input all the information about the 287 items in its collection into a cell phone app to allow visitors to appreciate the antiques in detail at a closer range. This is a revolutionary way for visitors to look at precious exhibit antiques. They can use their cell phones to download an app from the museum's website and scan the QR code of each antique. Then the information and three-dimensional images of the antique will appear on their phones. They can also hear introductions on the app. An unnamed visitor to the museum is impressed when she tries out the app. 古玩嘛，然后加上一些现代的这些科技，就觉得比较新奇，也比较好玩。Modern technology makes ancient relics look novel and interesting. The old part of the Suzhou Museum first opened to the public in 1960. Its new building was designed by well-known Chinese American architect Yao Mingpei. It was put into service in 2006. The museum boasts invaluable ancient Chinese paintings, works of calligraphy, and handmade crafts, among other things. While trying to expand their reach to ordinary residents, Chinese museums have also been trying to understand the meanings behind and the value of their antiques. In October last year, the National Museum of Chinese Writing launched an award program to encourage people from around the world to help decipher oracle bone inscriptions. According to the museum based in Anyang City in Henan Province, the program will offer 100,000 yuan, which is about 15,000 U.S. dollars, for each unknown character deciphered. Inscriptions on tortoise shells and animal bones represent the original characters of the Chinese written language. They date back to the Shang Dynasty, which lasted from 1600 to 1046 BC. Chinese characters are the oldest continuously used writing system in the world. The pictograms convey both meaning and pronunciation. To date, archaeologists around the world have discovered some 4,000 bone inscription characters by studying 160,000 relics, but only 1,600 of the characters have been deciphered. Oracle bone inscriptions were first discovered in 1899 by Beijing academic and antiquarian Wang Yirong. Although farmers have been unearthing the artifacts in Anyang for many years, Wang noticed symbols that looked like writing on the animal bones and tortoise shells. The announcement from the museum said the process of deciphering the oracle bone inscriptions had entered a bottleneck period and needed enthusiasm and innovation to help get to the bottom of the mysterious characters. The museum's incentive program stipulates that each report submitted by award applicants must have recommendations from two academic experts before entries are handed in to the museum's panel of experts. It encourages oracle bone enthusiasts to use cloud computing and big data to analyze and support their interpretation of any particular character. 
The museum has also warned that any applicant found to be plagiarizing or falsifying their application will be immediately disqualified and will not win any award. Now let's take a short break, and then we'll take a look at the obsession with smoking among many Chinese people and its challenges to the country's anti-tobacco efforts. Stay tuned. If you have any interesting stories about China to share with us and can speak good English, why not join us in our worldwide broadcast? Don't hesitate to phone us or send us an email at life at cri.com.cn. China Plus focuses on the Middle Kingdom, bringing you breaking news and the stories that matter to you from both inside and outside the country. Up-to-the-minute reports about China, live streaming audio, and fascinating programs. Insightful opinion on everything China-related. Discover what's hot in our most read section. Everything in focus, all in one place. China Plus. Search the App Store or Google Play for China Plus. Everywhere you look today, China is in the news. But what about the lives behind the stories? How do ordinary Chinese live and work? Life up close answers the questions in your mind when you think of China. Over a billion people and as many stories from all over this vast land. Life up close, bringing you all you need to know about the real Chinese living here in China. You're listening to Life Up Close. A smoker will enjoy lighting up a cigarette regardless of how much harm it may be doing to them. But for those who don't choose the habit, it can be a source of suffering. In the world's most populous nation, there are 315 million smokers, and the number of passive smokers more than doubles that. Such a harmful addiction to tobacco has proved to be a huge challenge for China's anti-smoking efforts. Heeding the World Health Organization's advice, Chinese authorities have been stepping up measures to protect the population from the harm of tobacco. The capital city Beijing has been leading the efforts with a smoking ban in all indoor public venues in place since June 2015. Now, the country's economic hub Shanghai is following in the footsteps of Beijing to create a smoking-free environment in all indoor public places. Yan Yong takes a closer look. Shanghai began its stricter smoking controls on March the first, prohibiting smoking in all indoor public venues, workplaces, and public transport. Other locations included in the extended smoking ban are a greater number of outdoor places, such as artistic performance and sports venues, open areas at maternity and children's hospitals, and bus stops. The new regulations also require venues such as hotels, office buildings, and airports not to have designated smoking rooms. Smokers caught violating the ban will be fined between 50 and 200 yuan, while owners of the premises will be fined up to 30,000 yuan, which is more than 4,000 US dollars. With this smoking ban, Shanghai has become the third major Chinese city after Beijing and Shenzhen to implement a blanket indoor smoking prohibition. 
On the first day of the ban, Shanghai residents called an anti-smoking hotline 300 times to complain about violations by smokers and managers of public venues. The complaints focused on restaurants and office buildings. In one shopping mall in the Pudong New Area, anti-smoking volunteers were seen giving anti-smoking leaflets to passers-by. One unnamed Shanghai resident says he supports the smoking ban. It's good to have this smoking ban in place. You know, I have already quit smoking. Since the smoking ban was approved by the city's legislative body in November last year, many smokers have chosen to kick the habit and seek assistance with the smoking cessation clinics. Liu Ankang, a doctor of cardiology with the city's Raging Hospital, says the smoking ban has served as a wake-up call for the city smokers. In the past, we just had one or two, no more than five patients a week, asking for help to give up smoking. The number of patients would have remained low throughout the year without the ban, but the situation has changed. In January, we had an average of about 20 patients a week, four to five times higher than the usual weekly average. Shanghai adopted its first anti-smoking regulation in 2010, but it still allowed smoking in designated areas at restaurants, entertainment venues, railway stations, and airports. The lax regulation led to lots of complaints from second-hand smokers who felt they were suffering the harmful effects of passive smoking in public areas. Many doctors have pointed out that the air around these designated venues still contains high levels of toxic fine particles, which is produced by smoking and can cause cancer. Tang Chong, deputy head of the office of the Shanghai Committee for Health Improvement, a quasi-official organization, explains why the city has adopted a more stringent smoking ban now. We refer to the legislative experience of other Chinese cities. Their monitoring results show there are no technical ways to fully protect residents from the dangers of secondhand smoke. The only way to eliminate the harm is to ban smoking in all indoor places. So to completely protect residents from passive smoking, we revised the previous indoor smoking regulation. In recent years, Shanghai has seen a gradual improvement in the awareness of the health risks posed by smoking among ordinary residents. The percentage of designated non-smoking places in which incidents of smoking were reported was 8.5 percent last year, according to official municipal statistics. That represented a 4.6 percent decline compared with the year before. But Wu Jinglei, director of the Shanghai Municipal Commission of Health and Family Planning, says the city still faces a great challenge in combating smoking in catering and entertainment places. We will adopt both soft and hard measures when enforcing the smoking ban. We will launch special campaigns targeting public places and the catering industry and internet cafes. Shanghai's anti-tobacco measures have won praise from the World Health Organization. 
Bernhard Schwartlander, a representative of the WHO in China, says Beijing's living environment has improved thanks to its two-year-old smoking ban. He says he hopes that implementing a similar ban will drastically improve the lives of Shanghai residents as well. What is new with these laws is actually that not only the smokers are being targeted by fines, but there are very clear regulations how the managers of offices, how the owners of venues are being fined as well. And while it's very difficult to implement a smoking ban if you only target the smoker because they walk away, but the managers and the owners of the venues they have a very much an interest to keep their business, to keep their job. So a fine for those people really has a major effect, and we have seen this in Beijing, for example. So we are very optimistic that this will really make a big difference now, also in Shanghai. In the meantime, Shortlander has called for a nationwide ban on smoking indoors across China to ensure all citizens have access to smoke-free public areas. He says the Chinese government should pass comprehensive national smoke-free legislation, ensuring that all Chinese citizens, not just those in wealthiest cities, have smoke-free indoor public environments. Currently, China is the world's largest consumer and producer of tobacco. World Health Organization statistics showed that there are more than 300 million smokers in the country, accounting for almost one third of the world's total. An estimated 2.3 trillion cigarettes are consumed here every year. This means that every Chinese person smokes an average of four and a half cigarettes a day. Around 700 million non-smokers, including 180 million children, are exposed to a secondhand smoke. And more than a million people die from smoking-related diseases each year, with about a hundred thousand deaths caused by diseases related to passive smoking. So far, only 18 Chinese cities have released regulations on tobacco control, covering 10% of the total population, according to Jiang Yuan, a tobacco control official at the Chinese Center for Diseases Control and Prevention. National legislation on tobacco control in public places was put forward in 2014, but it is still under discussion, according to the Chinese Association of Tobacco Control. If you have any interesting stories about China to share with us and can speak good English, why not join us in our worldwide broadcast? Don't hesitate to phone us or send us an email at life at cri dot com dot cn. Everywhere you look today, China is in the news. But what about the lives behind the stories? How do ordinary Chinese live and work? Life up close answers the questions in your mind when you think of China. Over a billion people and as many stories from all over this vast land. Life up close, bringing you all you need to know about the real Chinese living here in China. With that, we come to the end of this edition of Life Up Close. Hope you have enjoyed it. For more, please log on to our website of newsplusradio.cn. 
For our program producer Yin Xiuqi, this is Sam Duckett in Beijing. Bye for now.